This podcast was brought to you by our supreme boilers of leather, the Elton Dane, the new sword of the morning, Morgan, and Kate Kachka. If you want to find out how to become a supreme boiler of leather, or if you want access to all the cool bonus materials we offer, head over to patreon.com slash boiled leather audio hour. to the Boiled Leather Audio Hour, the almost weekly format now. We are, we are keeping it up, folks. We keep um, coming. It is a torrent of episodes, and I couldn't do this alone. Torrents need to come in pairs. And so this is the one and only pair of me, your host, Stefan Sasse, and the other guy I'm doing this podcast with. What, what, what was his name again? Could you remind me? I forgot. Of course, Stefan. My name is Sean T. Collins. Hello, everybody. I'm a television critic, as you, I guess, at this point probably know. For the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Vulture, and Decider, and other places. And it was for Decider that I reviewed this week's topic. Yeah, we have we have a topic uh, that also slips minds uh, and concerns itself with with minds and stuff, because you might remember back in the day we did an episode about a Netflix series called Dark. It was a series from Germany and it made quite quite some ripples in the, uh, in the critical community because it was actually good, which is a rare thing coming from Germany. And now the makers of Dark have produced another series, which is called 1899. And we want to find out if another three-season commitment from Netflix proves that these guys can do it again. Does lightning strike twice? And the answer is, as you might have guessed from the episode's title, no. Unfortunately, it does not. And I think uh, this episode will be more like uh, like a kind of... Um, of us being these these criminal uh, police guys who dissect bodies and try to find out what went wrong. Where did 1899 go wrong? Where Dark went right? And I'm sure you have some theories about this, Sean. Uh, and I mean, I know it. I read your reviews. Uh, but just uh, to reiterate for people who have not watched Dark, Dark is a show about time travel, which is a very difficult thing to pull off. And Dark is the rare case in which a time travel story actually works. And so I had high hopes uh, on this one. Uh, they share the same creative team. Uh, at least one of the actresses from Dark is also in it. And it had a, a, an intriguing setup uh, being placed in, you would have guessed it, 1899 uh, on an ocean liner, which then finds some sort of ghost ship and all kind of strange stuff happens. So there is, there's quite a good setup here. And, and it falls flat. And what, what would you be your, your overarching thesis, Sean, as to why this is? I have a couple. First, I think that, well, I, I think it all ties back to this. Unlike Dark, which was a very slow burn, and during the course of that slow burn, it enabled you to get to know the characters better. And you're in Dark, you're following uh, these various families in this uh, suburb in Germany, 
with a nuclear reactor. That's the kind of the, the, the big business in the town. And maybe something's going on with a nuclear reactor. Who knows? What's, it, it takes a long time to get to the actual reveal of what the mystery is. And in that time, and then even after that time, you get to know these people better and better. Because part of the conceit of the the story is that you're meeting these people at different times. So you're it's not that just that you're watching them grow. I don't know. Let's say a character was 40 years old when the show started and you're watching them grow for however many months or years the story takes place over. You're actually seeing them as a child. You're seeing them as a, as a senior citizen. You're seeing them maybe in their 20s. Like you're getting a full picture of their life and you're tracking how that life developed and how the various tragedies that occur in the show shaped them and, and hurt them and, and made them the kind of rickety people that they are today. And that I think is m the main thing that's missing from 1899, the slow build uh, reveal of the mystery. And then the, the way that that slow build enabled you to become attached to the characters because Almost from the jump, certainly from the from season from episode two, which I recall liking because I still had a lot of faith in the creators. But I think right after episode two, things really went downhill for me very quickly in terms of quality. And the main problem that I saw is that the show is so determined to just race you through all these various revelations until you eventually find out. You know, I'm sure there'll be further revelations that change everything we know, but you get to the end point for this season. You get to the end point where they want you to be. They tell you everything they want you to know at this point. Everything, of course, everything you thought you knew is wrong. You know, it's one of those kinds of shows. And you, it just moves too fast, which is a funny thing to say about a show that often feels really ponderous because there's not the slightest sense of humor in the whole thing. Uh, maybe a couple of jokes, but nothing stands out in, in retrospect. And it, it is a very grim show, which normally I wouldn't have a problem with. I mean, Dark was extremely grim too, but with Dark, you had the leavening agent of those characters and the way that you grew attached to them as children, as adults, as old people. It was really, uh, I thought, a, a powerful and engrossing show because so much of it was dedicated to uh, watching the toll that these th this enigma that the, the main character, particularly Jonas, was wrapped up in, watching it take this toll on him and watching it make him, um, watching it break him down. And I think the ending, which I won't spoil, uh, resonates with that process in, in, a, in a weird and, and, and dark but appropriate and ultimately moving way. And it's very hard for me to see how this show gets you to that point where it's constantly pulling the rug out from under you, constantly changing changing the rules of the game, constantly showing you new things that contradict the old things. It is what we call, and I mean it pejoratively, a mystery box show. It's not a mysterious show. And I went in, I tried very hard when I still believed that 1899 was mysterious rather than a mystery box show to kind of... Uh, break down what I thought the difference is and let me see if I can find it real quick because I, I, I do think it, it bears uh, investigation. Um, 
while you pull it up, let me just explain what a mystery box is and where the term comes from in, in case you are not familiar with. The term comes from J.J. Abrams, uh, who is the director of Lost, uh, or at least the creator of Lost, uh, the famous TV series. He also did the new Star Trek movies, he did the new Star Wars movies, and he once posited the idea of a so-called mystery box, which is essentially a MacGuffin. Uh, it's a box that contains a mystery that is more or less never opened. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is the general idea, and it carried seasons of Lost. So something about it obviously works, um, but it has not been recreated since. And I would say 1899 is the closest to getting it work, uh, but, it, but it doesn't. And you will soon explain us why. Yeah, I mean, the way I kind of look at it is I've seen Mystery Box used to describe everything from Gravity Falls to The Prisoner, let alone Lost. I mean, Lost is, a a Abrams coined the term and he coined it with regards to Lost. And so I've seen it used to describe so many different kinds of shows. Westworld certainly is, is I think, unequivocally a mystery box show that it has lost a bit of its meaning. But the way I feel about it is that um, if you picture a box, imagine your show is a box and you're trapped inside of it. The mystery box show uh, is not really a, a place for wide open exploration. You You are immediately told that you and the audience and the characters are trapped in this, um, in the box of the narrative. And it's like an escape room. Y you have to figure out where, where are you? What's going on? How do I get out? Who can I trust? What's the solution to all this? A mystery is a little bit more, uh, you know, the, to me, a mystery feels a little bit more wide open. It's open for exploration. It's open for meandering and, and trying to figure things out and feel things out. It's, it's much less this sense of like, I'm banging my head against the wall trying to figure out what the hell is happening. Like that to me is a difference between a mystery box show and a mystery show. A mystery box makes you feel like you're boxed in. And that's how I felt with 1899, especially as time progressed and it became apparent that they were just going to keep doing the same things over and over and over again and just layer mystery on mystery on mystery on mystery on mystery until the only solution had to be so outlandish versus where you thought you were starting with a bunch of people in 1899 getting on an ocean liner to cross from Europe to uh, New York City. Um, you, you just, it, it felt stifling. And I guess that's how I would describe it. It's a mystery box show I find frustrating because they demand that you uh, to interact with the show is to, it, it, it necessitates an active attempt on your part to solve the mystery, which is because otherwise you can't figure out what the hell is going on on the show. Whereas like if you're watching, I don't know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and you can't figure out who the spy is like, that's fine. The sh like, you get you 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 understand what the show is about. You don't need to know who the spy is to know what the show is about. Whereas with a mystery box show, unless you understand the final mystery, you cannot understand the show. It traps you in there in its own weird logic. And uh, I don't know that that's a little weird, but hopefully that makes sense. I think it does. Uh, and before we go on, I think we also need to come clean about our spoiler use because I feel it's hard to discuss this show uh, without talking about what it's actually where, where it actually ends up, which means spoiling it. It's not a long show; it's eight episodes. 
uh, so it's shorter uh, than dark. And again, you also already mentioned the high pace. So it's um, it's watchable in a very short time frame. And so before I issue the spoiler warning, I want to say this is not a bad show. It's just not good. So if you um, want to follow the discussion because you haven't watched it um, and you don't want to be spoiled, this would be the moment to pause the episode and finish watching uh, the, the show because I feel we need to spoil uh, at least major stuff uh, and discuss how it makes sense or how it doesn't um, because, because there's just no other way to do this. So uh, last warning uh, before we go into deeper discussions. So back uh, back to the uh, back to the whole thing. I want to point out, just as a general thing, before we go too much um, into the discussion itself, that I do not think that the premises of the show are the problem. You know, you can tell uh, a story that is about multidimensional storytelling, about time travel. Uh, you can tell a story about uh, being trapped in a simulation. Uh, all of that is possible. Uh, I hadn't believed this until Dark, uh, I have to say, because um, before Dark came out, I was pretty convinced that time travel stories just don't work, period. And then Dark came along and they proved that it could be done. And I think the same is true about a story uh, that is about people being trapped in a simulation or a story about uh, parallel and alternate universes. It's just, th this is not this show. And... Um, to spoil it, the central conceit of 1899 is that everyone is trapped in a simulation. None of this is real. This becomes apparent around the fifth or sixth episode at the latest, uh, I would argue, um, but uh, arguably even before. Uh, so th this is not huge, not such a huge spoiler, uh, but it needs to needs to get out of the way because we cannot uh, discuss anything uh, without knowing uh, that none of it is real uh, in the end. And none of it being real, th the moment you realize it as the audience, cheapens all the stakes somewhat, obviously, because uh, if if no one can die for real, uh, then every death is just. Um, it just it just doesn't carry the same weight, which is especially true if we talk about episode five and what's going on there. Uh, but once the characters find this out, it becomes even more apparent uh, because the characters then also know uh, that they are uh, that nothing that they do really carries any consequence. So if they are demolishing the ship, if they are trying to turn the ship around, if they are defying orders, uh, yada yada yada, none of it matters uh, in any in-universe way. It just matters to the game. Because everyone is then trying to find out the rules. And I'm sure you can do a good story. But as you said, 1899 is not, is not really, really telling a good story. And I think apart from the pacing that you mentioned, the lack of believable characters, of relatable characters, is the biggest problem uh, that this show has. And this very much isn't the premise, because these people do not know who they are. They are playing a role. So the captain is not really a captain. The passengers are not really passengers, uh, and so on and so forth. These are assigned roles. And once they realize that, uh, they need to actually also realize that they have been playing a role. So by necessity, the performances before cannot be entirely convincing. And this is a very, very harsh and uh, unforgiving act uh, that they need to do. 
And the actors themselves are not to blame. They are acting the hell out of this. Uh, we just have to have a shout out uh, for everyone involved in this show, aside from the big bad. And I think here it's largely directing. Uh, I forgot his name, but it's Kyburn again. Uh, he's, he's again playing the baddie. Uh, but uh, the, the script and the direction for him are so bad, you best ignore he exists. But everyone else is just, you know, doing their utmost uh, and level best um, with this material. And that sells a lot of the show and elevates it over uh, its competitors, among other things that the show also does right. But th this is one big. But the characters cannot really grow on you because they these people do not know who they are. <laughs> So I think this conceptual problem is one that the creators never really solve. Would you agree? I would. And, you know, I'll take one thing as an example. There's a family from, are they Danish, the family? Something Scandinavian. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the actors, um, another actor who I liked, you know, like the um, the guy who plays the captain, for example, that, that Stefan mentioned, Andreas Peachman, uh, he was in dark and excellent in dark the guy who plays crester who's the, the 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 uh brother in this family of five uh danish immigrants who are traveling in steerage lucas lingard tonison um he was great in a, a post-apocalyptic show very much uh in the vein or at least tonally similar to dark called the rain which lost me by the end of its second season but it's a danish production it's also on netflix i was asked to review it because I like dark so much. And they figured, Oh, maybe you'd like this too. You know, anyway, good actors, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, he's in this family from Denmark that's traveling to America because, um, after some unspecified incident, the mother started receiving, uh, the voice of God and is, has become like, um, you know, kind of a, a preacher and her family is all at to varying degrees of, um, reluctance going along with her in this vision quest of hers. And um, what 1899 does is in almost every episode, it just straight up rips off the framing convention of Lost, where you'll get relevant flashbacks that, although in this case, the characters experience the flashbacks as sort of visions or nightmares, like they're almost transported into their own memories, uh, where which is not what happened in Lost, obviously. In Lost, they were literally just memories. But here they have a memory of uh tov uh tova who's played by clara rosager um who i think does excellent work here uh she's pregnant she's the older daughter of the three children in that family and you witness this unbelievably and i mean really unbelievably disturbing uh sexual assault on her by the wealthy landowner on whose farm her family were tenant farmers and it goes on for a long time and he forces the family to watch and he'd already shot half the face of the brother off. It's violent. It's bloody. It's really sadistic. It's really unflinching. And I mean, you, you guys know my perspective on this sort of thing. I think if you're going to address the subject matter, the subject matter is worth addressing in full and that's what it does. And suddenly you really feel for these people and you really, um, feel for Tova in particular, uh, who's I think the most interesting of the, the five characters in that family. And it's a way to make you feel for these characters, but did it actually, it couldn't have happened. 
as far as we know, unless these people are somehow being plucked out of the time stream, which I sort of doubt, I sort of doubt that actual time travel is involved in a second series from these same creators. Um, so it's an implanted memory. Maybe it's a riff on something that actually did happen to her in her real life. We don't know that yet because it hasn't been explained. What is the connection between all these memories? With one character, uh, Mora, who's the lead character played by Emily Beecham, you do start to learn the connection between her false memories of being alive in 1899 and her real memories of being alive in this unspecified future or near future or alternate timeline uh, time period where the technology for creating the simulation had been developed or whatever. She's the only one though, where you really get a sense of like, okay, here's the connection between her fake story and her real story. Everybody else, no idea. We don't get that far. We haven't gotten that far in the show yet, I guess. Maybe they'll fill, they'll probably fill in the blanks, I would imagine. But it leaves you kind of feeling a little bit ripped off. Like you went through this horrible ideal with I, I, I ordeal with this poor woman and her helpless family. And for what? Like, did it even happen? Is it related to something that actually did happen? Is it like a funhouse mirror version of something that happened? Who are these people? Where did they come from? Why are they there? Why are in the Why are they in the simulation? Why did they get the, assigned this particular backstory? Why are some characters first class and some characters third class? Why are some characters passengers and some characters crew? They don't explain any of it, and so you get to the end of the season. And of course, they're going to explain, I would imagine, almost all of it. But you still kind of need to have some sort of satisfying, um, really any kind of resolution to anything that happened. And other than the resolution of, well, we find out more or less what's really going on. Although, as, as, as I said before, I'm sure there'll be additional revolutions that, revelations that prove once again everything we, knew, we thought we knew was wrong. But other than that final revelation of like, here's where they really are. Here's what's really going on. Here's who built this thing. You, you, you don't, you, you, you don't learn about anybody, <laughs> you know, with maybe two exceptions. And it's very, very frustrating. And it gets back to what I said, the big difference with Dark. You're learning about those characters in the first season of Dark. It's not just a full first season of wheel spinning until they show you what's actually going on and then you can get down to the nitty gritty. No, it starts as a full show and that's how it continues. And you can't say that about 1899, which makes it a very frustrating viewing experience. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would go even farther than uh, than you when it comes to the question of what do we actually uh, learn? Because in the end, we get the setup Uh, for the next season's mysteries, basically. Because uh, the main character, uh, I already forgot her name, uh, she has a brother uh, who is called Siaran, uh, I think, uh, or something something Irish. She's, she has an Irish name and her brother has an Irish name. That's about... It's Mora and Kieran. Ah, right, Kieran. Uh, that's about the extent that we know about the real persons here. And... Um, Obviously, something is going on with her brother, who seems to be the 
soul person uh, awake on this generation ship or he belongs to the faction uh, of the people that are awake or maybe he is in a civil war with the faction that is awake or whatever i mean there there is a possibility for a whole lot of stuff going on uh, on that generation ship uh, and of course since this is one simulation we also get uh, the potential for time travel of sorts because they can just plug in another simulation i mean what's to stop them uh, from doing a season of 1999 or 1799 uh, you know uh, they they could do uh, anything uh, here uh, by just resetting uh, this uh, the simulation stuff. So there is a lot that can go on, and, and I have this uh, this feeling of um, it, it almost doesn't matter. Uh, it, I, this is not a word, doesn't matterness, uh, but uh, th this is the feeling that I get. Uh, you know, because all of those revelations can and will uh, pull the rug uh, out from me. It is the same sinking feeling I had when in the first season of Dark, uh, they started this whole other timeline uh, with the post-apocalypse. Um, they managed to do it uh, in Dark. It actually worked. Um, but once again, will lightning strike twice? Uh, will they be able to make such an in-season revelation work twice in a row? Ugh, I'm at least hesitant, uh, you know, and and kind of uncertain uh, about uh, about the whole thing. And a little bit of certainty is something that would be appreciated within the storyline, uh, because there is just nothing uh, to hang on. Uh, I'm just uh, driven forward relentlessly by revelations and by the mystery itself, which for a while works very well, uh, especially uh, as long as the revelations themselves are um, mysterious enough and haunting enough. I just say episode five, uh, when all those people jump overboard. I mean, I almost don't care why the hell stuff is going on. They just had this imagery that was so strong and they connected it so well uh, to the characters uh, because the focus was on the characters and their dawning realization that they couldn't stop it and then on the emotional fallout of this revelation and so i was with the characters and if the whole series would have been like that i think it would work much much better at least uh, that's my working theory on that part yeah I, I get back to what you said there's nothing to hang on to um and I tried my best, you know. <sighs> there are the performances. I'll say that. I like this cast. It's an attractive cast, which honestly makes a big difference when you're watching television. I mean, I tweeted about it like, if you like handsome men, you're going to enjoy the show because it's full of handsome men, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, there's just no... Um, I don't know. I, I There's... There's no handholds to grab onto because it does, as you again, as you said, it rushes you through all this stuff, and without um, a, a a a which they could get away with if there if it was if it was if the rushing was taking place on like solid ground, but it's not. There's no solid ground because you don't know who these characters are because they don't know who they are. So if they had been pushing forward the character development at the same rate as they were pushing forward the mystery, as you say, then you're getting somewhere, but they don't. So you're not, you don't get anywhere. You get somewhere with the mystery, but who cares? Unless you have people that you give a shit about, you really, I mean, man, 
it makes such a difference just to he, all right i i always used to talk about characters who are styrofoam packing peanuts right and the idea was that in a story you have certain characters who are active participants they create the story through their actions through their thoughts through their dialogue you know protagonist antagonist whoever they are they're real people and they feel real they have emotional and psychological and intellectual drivers that 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 cause them to do things and interact with each other in a certain way and they feel like living presences in the story now in most stories you also have what i call the styrofoam packing peanut characters which are they not they're not really there to do anything themselves they're there to get a character who you do care about from point a to point b uh however that is you know they're like the bad guy who shoots at them and then they run they're the, whoever you, know, you get the idea any kind of character they're the witch who appears and says don't go in there or whatever you know or you will face my curses three but you don't know anything about the witch or what her deal is she's just a witch um styrofoam packing peanuts it's like every character in this is a styrofoam packing peanut packing up a package that we cannot identify and don't understand and are constantly being asked to reevaluate and then you get to the end of the season you're like okay well the styrofoam packing peanuts all these characters who in their own ways i think are you know they're they're sturdy little types and you know they have some interesting backstories that are revealed in these lost style flashback sequences and framing devices but you you get to the end of the journey and it's all styrofoam packing peanuts. Like, no character grew. Well, that's not quite true. Mora and, um, what's his name? The other character. The, uh, the, um, why can't I find his name now? Damn it. Not the priest. I like the priest a lot. Um, no, the, the, shit, where is, why isn't he showing up? God damn it. The, 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 the um, the mysterious guy who shows up on the ship by himself. He climbs up from the water. Daniel Solace. Daniel Solace. There his name is. Daniel. You find out about him too. Uh, for reasons I won't spoil. But you find out about Moron. You find out about Daniel. And that's about it. You don't even find out what... Uh, the Anton Lesser is the name of the actor who plays Kyburn and uh, Partagaz in Andor and now plays Henry Singleton who's the heavy in this one. You don't find any, out anything about him really either. He's just a menacing presence. And that's really a letdown because he's been so much more interesting as a menacing presence in Game of Thrones and in Andor than that to watch what's being done with him here it really just feels like a waste. So, yeah. It's a, it's frustrating. And so many things do not even make sense in context of the show. I think... Um... The exhibit A for this is the child. Um, I've forgotten his name. Uh, he is called... Yeah, a anyway. There's this eerie child. Uh, he's like nine years old. Uh, at least uh, that's his role. And he shows up as this mute, uh, extremely disturbing child who offers strange, disturbing uh, artifacts, seems to know more uh, than what's going on, and has this uh, this whole... Um, spooky child wipe and in the last two or three episodes suddenly uh, he becomes a whole different character uh, and we learn that he is the child of daniel and mora 
And we learn uh, that he actually can talk, that he actually has his own agenda, that he has fears and wishes. Um, and he gets a really emotional arc uh, in the very last episode uh, that would work very well if it was set up properly. But if I take what I learn about this character in the last two or three episodes and compare it to his behavior in the first few episodes, it's just nonsensical. I just do not understand how these characters relate to each other in the beginning. I don't understand why Daniel is doing what he's doing. And I do not understand why this child is doing what it's doing or not doing uh, in his case. It's just utterly uh, unclear uh, what is happening and you can't understand it. And there is nothing uh, to grab on. No, no certainty uh, in your life. And you can't have that. And this, by the way, is one of the major reasons why we now offer you as the listeners of this episode something to hang on, some certainty in uncertain times, and something to really hang on and to get you an anchor that will define your day and will define your life and take care of so many problems. And I give it over to Sean to explain to you what it is. You don't want to be trapped in a simulation. You want to be the master of your own destiny. You want to take your well-being, your health, your grooming, your hygiene into your own hands. And friends, that is why I'm happy to say, once again, that support for the Boiled Leather Audio Hour is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped's products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, whether simulated or not simulated. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. So join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you from us and from the nice folks at Manscaped. 20% off and free worldwide shipping, which makes a big difference these days. I don't know if you've shipped anything worldwide, but it kind of sucks. Well, they're taking that burden off of your back. Isn't that nice of them? While they take hairs off of your body. You get free worldwide shipping and 20% off with the code BOILEDLEATHER at manscaped.com. Now, again... They make you use this thing or they won't let you talk about it. And and it's it's real good. I don't even know what else to say. Like it's it'll like refresh your whole fuck like your whole your whole deal. It's really um your 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 grooming routine will improve, your morning will improve, your mentality will improve. At least that's my experience. You know, I can't vouch for you. Who knows? Maybe maybe nothing pleases you, in which case I can't help you. But if you can be pleased, the Performance Package 4.0 has arrived. Inside this package, you'll find Manscaped's Lawn Mower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, phrase I like, that's the phrase that pays, the Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all the goodies. Now, first off, the Lawn Mower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming, the greatest ball trimmer ever certainly from my experience. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. And you don't want to be hacking away down there with the same thing you use to shave your beard or your head or a pair of scissors. God help you. No. Or, like, I don't even want to think about using, like, like some kind of... You know what? We're just going to drop it. Use something that you know is going to take good care of you. Use the the Lawnmower 4.0. It's also waterproof which comes in handy if you want to just kind of take care of business in the shower and let your troubles wash away down the drain, so to speak. And as I keep touting, it has this 4000K LED spotlight to give you the more precise shave that you need, let you see what's going on down there as you're doing stuff. 
again, all of these features like really help to make this a much easier, less painful process, which is what you need. And if you want to take things to the next level and go uptown instead of just downtown, that's when you get the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. Again, it's waterproof. Again, it's got proprietary skin safe technology. It helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes up in your head, which also you want. Then on top of that, you got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. It'll change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Rub a little of the deodorant on in your area. You're good to go for a while. Let's say some time has passed. You know, you want to refresh. You spritz that Crop Reviver. Boom, you're done. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts with their Performance Package 4.0. You get the Manscaped Boxers, which are very fancy, very comfy, and the Shed Travel Bag, so you can take all of your stuff, pack it in there, bring it with you, leave it in your bathroom, whatever. It takes care of all your storage needs. It's great. It's time to take care of yourself. This is what we keep trying to tell you. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Boiled Leather. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code Boiled Leather. Not only will it be good for your confidence, but not only will it help you use the right tools for the job with Manscaped, it'll be good for the Boiled Leather Audio Hour because the more interest you guys show Manscaped that you have in their products thanks to what we're telling you, the better it is for us. So if you like the Boiled Leather Audio Hour and you're like, you know what? Christmas is a coming. Let me give this a shot. This sounds like a fun idea for a little gift for myself or for my gentleman friend or whoever the case may be. Go for it. Manscaped.com, code boiled leather, 20% off, free shipping. You really can't go wrong. No, you can't. And I have to throw in a little experience of my own because I have to admit, I was very, very um, hesitant uh, in the beginning. You know, I was looking at these premium products and I was thinking they can't be worth that much, you know, and they are throwing in uh, all these all these nice goodies, as you mentioned. And I just want to take one of them out which is the boxer shorts. And it's ridiculous because if you look at the homepage, these boxer shorts are selling for like 25 bucks. And I was like, no boxer short can ever be worth 25 bucks. And I was like, haha, I'm now wearing them ironically, trying out these totally overpriced boxer shorts. And then I wore them and I was like, shit, <laughs> these are much better than my other boxer shorts. And now I'm constantly lurking around the manscape shop thinking about because what, what do you do with one boxer short right and and you want that feeling all the time so i need several i i, I have to admit i have not yet pulled the trigger but i fear i will so uh, all of these materials are top notch and they're absolutely worth it and if they convinced me a guy who isn't you know the fancy boxer short type then they will convince you so that's all I have to say on that issue. No, no more talk about boxer shirts. But they are, they are, they, really they are, they really are ridiculously good. good, and and also very aesthetically pleasing. I I have to say. So I guess now we'll step out of our own personal mystery boxes, so to speak, and back into the mystery box of eighteen ninety nine. And I, I just want to say that I think you're absolutely right. The 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 boy gets such a powerful. Uh, arc at the very end of the season and delivers a real powerhouse performance i thought um i'm I, i'm having such a hard time finding the name of these actors it's flynn edwards is the guy is the kid who plays th this kid uh he's asked to do some really difficult stuff that he pulls off tremendously well 
it, it is very affecting. Um, it has nothing to do with his behavior in the opening of the season. It's really disconnected, as is Daniel's. And I think it was just because they were busy ladling on mysteries, and then eventually they 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 decided, well, these ones matter and these ones don't, and they followed up with the ones that mattered, and they ignored the ones that didn't. And a lot of the ones that, were, that didn't were basically red herrings or smoke screens to kind of throw you off the trail and make things seem even more unpredictable and crazy in the early episodes. And Elliot and Daniel really fell victim to that, and their characters suffered as a result. Yep. And on the plus side, if you look at the relationship between the Chinese lady and the Polish guy, this is one that really worked. They sold it throughout throughout the whole of the movie, basically, and it didn't even matter what the storyline was. Uh, their emotions and uh, their emotional journey, it just felt very real, whereas others utterly fell, fell flat for me. So, for example, I, I'm so sorry, but I don't remember most of the characters' names, but uh, the black uh, French guy uh, who, who starts the journey as a stowaway, he never uh, caught me in any way. He just remained a plot vehicle because he's always so so generically helpful. Uh, I don't know how to say it. The French uh, couple as well, uh, they also didn't really catch me. I did not feel for his, um, for his epilepsy. Uh, I did not feel for her... I don't know, attempts at trying to be free that weren't really there. I, I did not understand what she what motivated her. And this is true of so many of these characters, which, which is a real shame. Um, and for most of them, once uh, every time they get uh, a personal storyline running, they usually throw a monkey wrench into the proceedings by giving us the next door to unlock, uh, the next mystery lock to open. Uh, you know, uh, and that then brings all characters to screeching halt, and then they need to uh, consider the plot, which is not running in sync with character development. You have great character scenes and you have great plot scenes, but the two of them rarely come together. I think this is, now that I think of it, uh, one of the many problems of this show. That may be the problem of the show. I mean, you may have per summed it up so perfectly that I'm almost out of anything else to say. It's it you've you've encapsulated what I think we've been trying to get at this whole time, which is that you have this plot, this mystery box plot about the simulation and uh, how they're in a constant loop and they have to keep reliving and dying and living and dying and living and dying until they find a way out of this simulation. And the way that that story is just boom, 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 boom. You just, it's thrust forward at you. And then the characters, the, there's not, it doesn't feel glued together. It's impossible to imagine Dark without those specific characters. Impossible. Impossible. Because part of it is very literally the story could not happen without them. But another part of it is that like, the story is generated by them. It's generated by their hopes and fears and desires and secrets and betrayals and trust and friendships and relationships and family and all those kinds of things. This plot is driven by itself. The characters are incidental. They're passengers. They are passengers on the ocean liner that is the plot. That thing is going where it's going almost no matter what they do. It's very hard to get invested in that in a story like that. Just yes, 
But I do have something to add before um, before we basically close the book on the show. Be, we said in the beginning, it's not a bad show. And I, and I think we should stress some of the more positive points about it. And one of mm-hmm. the most positive things is, I guess, the visuals. Because if you liked Dark and the specific aesthetic of it, you know, the machinery, um, how the mysteries were presented, uh, the striking visual choices uh, that they made all the time. 1899 has that in spades. And I would even argue that they have more of it uh, than Dark. Uh, they, they are outdoing themselves uh, in some parts. Uh, those uh, those gates that are opening just in, in the landscape and in the sky, uh, them trying to peel off layers of reality and um, revealing what's underneath, uh, people jumping from the ship, um, uh, the ghost ship atmosphere uh, that the Prometheus has, at least in the very beginning, all of that is just exemplary. Um, I'm not quite so sure about the uh, visualization of the virus uh, that that takes hold, especially since the revelation of what it actually does needs to wait for season two, if if it comes at all. Um, it's just very generic things sticking out. But at least uh, when it really takes up speed and chases them throughout the ship, uh, it also works very well. Um, the, the whole clothing uh, and atmosphere of 1899, as long as the show even pretends to give a fuck uh, about the contemporary setting that it has, all of that is is great, and I want more of it. Um, so this is what I'm looking forward to for the inevitable season two. But um, the rest of it just just doesn't come together in the same uh, in the same amount. Yeah, and you make an excellent point. I mean, the imagery is often very 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 impressive, as I think you'd expect from the people who made Dark. I mean, they haven't lost everything that made that show good. And, you know, as you mentioned, the, the, those shots of them, like, opening portals in the air, I lo- I could not, not get enough of that. It's so um, surreal in a Magritte kind of way. Uh, I really liked that. The uh, eeriness of some of this, the plot elements, like, you know, when everyone marches off the edge of the ship. Um, loved it. Loved that. Um, I even think that towards the end of the season, when you do tie the characters together with the mystery as the ship begins to sink and people start dying left and right, uh, there's some real emotion there. Even though you know that it's uh, by that point that it's not really real. Uh, These are still people making the decision to die with one another. Uh, rather than leave each other behind, and I, I, the, to me, that's impressive too. But yeah, it just—it just—it's not that there's nothing to recommend it, and it's not that it's a bad show, as Stefan says. It's not a bad show. It just doesn't. It—it's just not a show that works. Someone said, and I think it was Ellen Moore, that if you want to write good books, you need to read bad books. So uh, watching 1899 and seeing where it fails. I mean, you will most likely not be producing any TV series for Netflix anytime soon, but uh, it still informs our knowledge of better shows and things that that are done right. So before we close this off, do you think that season two has a chance to turn this around? Or is this basically sunk? Um, Look, I have seen shows turn it around much more dramatically after seasons that were much worse. The first season of Halt and Catch Fire, one of the best shows ever made, was not good. 
the first season of The Leftovers, one of the best shows ever made, was not good. It took me, uh, other people were very different, I understand that, I think they're wrong. It took me two full seasons to get on board with The Americans. Billions was bad for its first season, and has been nothing but unbelievably entertaining ever since. So, who knows? And, you know, and, and I do think there's some reason to have some optimism, because as was the case with Billions, and with The Leftovers, and with Halt and Catch Fire, towards the back half of the season of 1899, there were moments that were legit uh, powerful. Like I said, the, the, the Tova's story, or the stuff with, with the boy towards the very end, or um, the death scenes, like I just talked about, as the ship is, is, is taking on water. All of that worked. And that, to me, shows that the, the, the showrunners have the ability to tap back into that if they focus on doing so, I guess. You know, it's hard to explain. Like, I don't really know what... Each of these shows that changed, changed for reasons or in ways that were different. You know, like, the one I know the best because the creators told me because I interviewed them was Halt and Catch Fire. They wrote Halt and Catch Fire's pilot as a way to get hired by AMC, presumably to write on Mad Men, which they did not get. Instead, AMC greenlit their show and they were brand new and had no experience and did their best. And at first they were really still kind of working their AMC anti-hero drama stuff out of their system. And it took until towards the very, very end of that season for them to be like, oh, I think we might have found our voice here. And then when it gets, gets to season two, it's really, really off to the races. And season two is better than season one, and season three is better than season two, and season four is better than season three. And by the time you get to the end, it's one of the most amazing things you've ever watched in your life. It can happen. Billions, on the other hand, I know because I spoke with the showrunners, they feel like they did what they wanted in that first season. And they don't feel like there's a huge qualitative difference between season one and the subsequent seasons. I do. Who knows? You know, most viewers and critics didn't think anything was wrong with the American season one or season two. That was me. So who knows? And with the leftovers, I give up on trying to figure out what's going on in Damon Lindelof's head. I mean, that dude, who the hell knows? But my point is this. I think in some ways the first season of 1899 is more promising than the first season of those shows because the imagery, they really have a, a pretty tight grasp on the imagery at the very least. And there's a talented cast. There's some ideas for characters. They just need to uh, rebalance the thing so that it's the characters moving for us forward as much as it is just the sort of clockwork nature of revealing the mechanism through which these characters exist. It's, it could happen. It, it could happen. I'll watch because I'm curious. Um, yeah, I guess that's where I stand. What do you think? About the same. Uh, there is a chance and the showrunners proved it already that they can do it. Once again, I was very, very suspicious 
uh, at the end of uh, season one of Dark, and I was like, going, oh no, this cannot work. You know, post-apocalypse and time travel, oh my goodness, how should this work? And then at the end of season two of Dark, they introduced a multiverse, and I was like, no, no way this works. And it worked. So this gimmick of them being on that spaceship might actually work and it might work to their advantage because they can reset everything. Uh, if they introduce these characters as totally new people next season, it will make sense because in their setting, everything makes sense. This is a great weakness of season one, but it can become a great strength uh, of season two because it allows them to wipe, uh, wipe the slate clean. Of course, then there's stuff like Westworld, which shows that even if you have this freedom, if you have these possibilities, if you do not use them, uh, or if you can't use them, I don't know what the pressures are uh, that are weighing down on them, uh, but there is no guarantee for it. But I do see uh, the possibility of something worthwhile coming out of it. And if it doesn't, I am watching very talented actors giving their absolute best in great uh, aesthetic and visual designs so the time will not be entirely lost so I guess that's my point so I will be back for season 2 hoping that it improves on season 1 yep um, yeah there's some hope springs eternal that, that's I guess where I'm at with this and I'm in the liking things business as I always say so you know when, yeah when the second season comes along I'll be there ready to like it so yeah Totally, totally. And we hope uh, you liked uh, this episode. So uh, if you did, tell us. If you didn't, uh, also tell us. And uh, we see you next time. And uh, until then, bye-bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, you can support us via PayPal at paypal.me slash boiledleather, or you go over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash boiledleatheraudiohour. Patreon offers many subscription tiers, which give you early access to episodes, the possibility to weigh in on topic choices, bonus podcasts like the Boiled Leather Audio Moment or the Boiled Leather Audio Conversation, and of course, the possibility to be mentioned right in the beginning of every podcast. Hop over to patreon.com slash boiledleatheraudiohour or contribute over PayPal at paypal.me slash boiledleather.